Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. Few subjects engender more reaction and thought in our politics and in our culture than immigration. Mostly, though, it's either an abstract processing of how we see others or of ways in which we see our own and the nation's remembered past. The reality, however, is very different. Not just for the dreamers that we often speak about, but for waves of new young people that are on the front lines of reshaping the immigrant experience in the United States. What is it really like for the students and the teachers that are each and every day helping to define and sometimes even reimagine what it means to be an American? We're going to talk about this with my guest, Jessica Lander. She's an award-winning teacher, writer, and author. She teaches history and civics to recent immigrant students in a Massachusetts public school, and she's won numerous awards for her teaching. She writes frequently about education policy, and her latest book is Making Americans, Short Stories of Historic Struggles, New Ideas, and Inspiration in Immigrant Education. Jessica Lander, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, it is a delight to have you here. Talk about your early days as a teacher, what that experience was like relative to what your expectations were, what you had sort of grown up understanding, even as as a young teacher. I started my teaching career abroad. Um, So I actually um, left college on a a Tuesday, got on a plane on a Friday, and by Monday morning was teaching at Chiang Mai University in northern Thailand. Um, And so... My students were my teachers right in the beginning. Right. I was right out of college. Um, and it wasn't until a number of years later that I came to Lowell High School in Lowell, Massachusetts, um, and then was working with the extraordinary immigrant students I work with today. Um, and I, I came to Lowell because it has such a vibrant immigrant community and having lived abroad and um, been able to travel some abroad, um, was really drawn to just the vibrancy of this community and was amazed by my students from day one. Um, So I teach in a classroom where I have students from 30 different countries. Um, They speak more than 15 languages. They're from countries spanning uh, Colombia to the Democratic Republic of the Congo to Cambodia. Um, and really it was right from day one teaching in Lowell. And that was a number of years after I'd started teaching. Uh, I was just struck again and again and again by how much I had to learn from my students um, who brought their determination and their experiences and their rich understandings of different cultures and traditions and histories and politics um, from different countries they lived in, all to enrich our classroom, enrich the discussions we had about history and present and about civics. Um, And so for me, it was so, so incredibly inspiring, um, really from day one of coming to work with my immigrant students here in Lowell. If you hadn't had that experience of going to Thailand first, if you had walked into that classroom as a young teacher in Lowell, how might your impressions have been different, your experience have been different? Oh, it's a good question. Um, uh, The counterfactual is always hard. Um, I mean, I, I think it's, even without having lived abroad and had that opportunity um, and being able to um, learn from students outside the country, learning from students who are from all across the globe here, I still for new teachers is incredibly 
inspiring and exciting. I was talking with a new teacher just earlier today um, who's working with some of our newcomers, and he was talking about uh, just how inspiring they were and how excited he was to, he's going to school for education um, and to get more degrees and just how excited he was um, to be learning from our students because they are bringing all of their knowledge and their experience and their, uh, their curiosity to the classroom. Um, and it's just, you're swept up in their excitement and also all they have to share. Um, and so I, I think it would still be really exciting and inspiring, even if I hadn't had those opportunities to first work abroad. As you talk about in, in making Americans, there was a period that we went through in this country where the object of teaching young immigrant children was to figure out how to kind of Americanize them, as, as you talk about. And, and certainly the experience now is a very, very different one, particularly even as we hear you talk about it. Talk a little bit about how we have evolved in terms of the way we, the way teachers approach this. Absolutely. I mean, um, you're absolutely right in how uh, schools in the country have thought very differently about how they're educating uh, newcomers over the last 150 years. So my great-great-grandfather, a great-grandfather, came to the U.S. Um, as a six-year-old, a seven-year-old, um, as a refugee from Ukraine, um, was then at the time Russia. Um, and he came with his family fleeing pogroms and he, coming to school in the U.S. at the turn of the 20th century, his culture, his history, his religion, and his language were not often welcome in schools in the U.S. Um, as you said, most schools aim to rapidly Americanize immigrant students, having them assimilate and adopt really Anglo-Saxon traditions. And it's in the last hundred years that we've seen real transformation, a really exciting transformation of how we think about immigrant education in public schools. But that's only happened because of the courageous and the persistent work of educators and organizers and lawyers and families and community organizers. Um, and all of them have been working to stand up for students in different ways from uh, challenging um, laws that said you couldn't speak languages or teach languages other than English, to uh, challenging laws that tried to segregate immigrant students or exclude undocumented students or refuse to provide language supports for students still mastering English. And so the, uh, the progress we have seen has happened because of the persistent and the courageous work of um, these individuals and communities working together. And we're seeing, I, I'm seeing as I traveled across the country for this book, but I think we are seeing as a collective, a really exciting time as we are looking in the last decade um, to just exciting new laws and policies and programs that are embracing the many, many strengths that our immigrant students bring, um, embracing multilingualism and multiculturalism, seeing those as the strengths they are that enrich our communities, our schools, our country, and thinking about how we reimagine schools to make sure we're tapping into those strengths and not creating schools like the type my great-grandfather attended, right. um, where he was not encouraged to bring his full self to school. 
What are the ways in which we measure the success today? You know, we're always looking and we, we hear all the time, rightly or wrongly, what are the metrics by which we, we could judge? When you look at this, what are the metrics we can use to judge this, this multicultural success? So there are, of course, the traditional metrics um, that we use in school around test scores, um, graduation rates, um, and all of those are, of course, really important. Um, I also think there are important um, metrics that are going to be harder to measure by a, a test or give you a number, um, but are deeply fundamentally important. So when I think about um, success for my immigrant students, um, I want them to have a strong sense of belonging here. I want them to feel that they are welcomed and accepted and valued. And if young people have that sense of belonging, it provides, I believe, a foundation for building a life, a foundation for pursuing one's dreams. Um, if young people have that sense of belonging um, to a place, they're coming here and building a new home, if they have that sense of belonging, they will be moved to invest their talents and their skills and their energy and their heart enriching their new home. And I see that every day with my students, um, particularly a, a civics teacher, my students work together every year on community civics projects, and we tackle community issues and work with community leaders and uh, local civic leaders to create systemic change. Um, and that's the, the type of metric I want to be looking at. I know it's harder to measure, but when I see my students working to create positive change in their community, working with civic leaders, feeling that this is their community and that they want to contribute to it, that for me is success. How does the curriculum need to change? How do teachers need to change in order to, to make the best of, of what's there, to really bring out the best in these students? I think we need to connect teachers and schools to learn from each other. Um, there are a, a lot of schools that are struggling to think about how to best support immigrant students. Um, everyone I talk to wants to do best by their students. Um, some don't know how. And I think the thing that I was struck by as I traveled across the country is there are really exciting experiments that are doing really innovative, interesting work, but others don't know about them and so can't learn about them. So, for example, there is a district in North Carolina, Guilford, um, North Carolina, that had for a long time taught a sort of a more simplified language to their uh, immigrant students and their um, EL students, and they were not satisfied. Um, and so they sought out experts. They sought out new programs. They worked as a team across the district. They ran uh, a ton of professional development as a team, but also did one-on-one. -on -one. So that team was going into classes and lesson planning and lesson modeling. And they reimagined how they teach language in the school, recognizing that immigrant students can tackle really complex, juicy language and um, really exciting, interesting texts. They just weren't teaching in a way that um, was accessible to students. But they totally reimagined it. And with um, support from the district, they saw test scores shoot up in reading and math and science within two years. There's a school in Georgia that is specifically for refugee girls who have maybe 
never had academic schooling. Um, and so they've created a program where students can maybe be learning the material that might be at a kindergarten level, but that also embraces and understands and acknowledges their maturity as maybe a, a teenager um, and is able to hold those two together. There are really interesting experiments and many more that I didn't get to learn from. And I think the thing is to connect teachers to be able to learn from each other. Strategies that work in one school are going to be maybe adapted in another. They're not all going to be just sort of uh, dropped in and will be successful in different places because of the communities you work with. Um, but I think there's so many exciting experiments across the country today. And it's really about connecting people to other schools and programs and educators that are doing exciting work. Is there enough sharing going on today as we see different programs, and, and you write, them, write about them all over the country, these experiments that are going on, is there enough sharing of, of best practices and the information so that it can be replicated in other places? Um, just no, I don't think there is. So for the book, I called so many educators and policymakers and researchers and people who shared their time and suggested ideas of places that were doing exciting work. Many people didn't know um, of schools that were doing exciting work. Um, there are really exciting programs that are not known outside their community, which means we're not as a larger community getting to learn from them. So one thing that I'm really excited about and interested in coming out of the book is working both with the teachers that I got to learn from and with others to create that community that I don't believe exists and to bring together educators, but also policymakers, also community organizers, also researchers to think in a comprehensive way about how do we share best practice? Because you're absolutely right. We need to be sharing best practice and we're not. Um, and so what are the ways that we can be learning from each other? That happened organically as I was writing the book. I would be sitting with one school and they'd be talking about a challenge they have. And immediately my mind would uh, jump to a school I'd been at the week before. And so I'd offer, can I, can I connect the two of you? And they would be really excited. There was such a hunger to learn from each other. And we just need the organizations and the community to make those connections possible so that we can learn from each other. And do some of these best practices fit situations where there is a very wide multicultural class, as, as you talk about in Lowell, or are there best practices that are emerging that are very specific to specific kinds of communities? Absolutely. So as I said um, earlier, I, I teach in Lowell. I teach students from 30 different countries from around the globe. My students speak um, upwards of 14, 15 languages. You drive 15 minutes away to Lawrence, um, to a school that I got to learn from in Lasse, um, which is a, a school embedded inside the high school for kids who've been in the country for about a year, maybe a little longer. And the community, the newcomer community in Lawrence is almost entirely from the Dominican Republic and almost all Spanish speakers. And so some of the strategies that might work where you have a common language won't work in my classroom where we have 14, 15 languages spoken. Um, now, of course, there are strategies around thinking about 
how we tackle complex texts and support students in learning English that we can use in both. But there will be different strategies they can use because they're working in English and Spanish. Um, and then, of course, there are schools that are for a, a even more specific group of students, like the school I just mentioned in Georgia, that is specifically trying to help refugee girls who spent a long time out of school. I mean, if you imagine coming to the country, maybe never having gone to a formal school, you're 16 years old, you're put in a high school class. That's going to be really, really hard for you in a big high school. Um, what this uh, school does in Georgia, the Global Village Project, is it creates a much smaller, really nurturing community. It brings in about 100 volunteers from the local community to support students one-on-one. -on -one. So they can try to recapture those years of education and do about five, six, seven, maybe eight years of education in like three years um, so that they can succeed when they go on into high school, um, a more traditional, bigger high school in the Georgia area, in the Atlanta area. How much more difficult is it to address these issues in the upper grades, in middle school, in high school? Um, so I think... Some of the, the challenges um, is that my students um, also uh, often are carrying um, responsibilities outside of school, as many of our students, whether they're American-born or not, um, are doing across the country. They're carrying responsibilities outside of school. So my students um, often are holding jobs. Um, one of my extraordinary students who I read about in the book, um, Robert, uh, worked as a certified nursing aide his senior year of high school and was working 40 hours a week um, in addition to being a full-time student. Many of my students are also caregivers for younger siblings or um, grandparents. And so there are those responsibilities that they have in addition to learning a new language, learning a new community and country, and also just being a teenager, which is hard in and of itself. Um, and so that provides some uh, challenges that um, are important to address and important to support our students, knowing that they're also maybe having to be adults. And they're having to be maybe adults as cultural translators and linguistic translators for their families. So they might be looking at documents for electrical bills or rent bills, um, those types of responsibilities that are um, real, real adult responsibilities that our students are taking on while also trying to succeed in school at the same time. How are teachers dealing with the psychological issues that, that are faced by so many of these young people being strangers in a strange land? So there's a really interesting school that um, does some powerful work that directly addresses this question um, down in Houston, Texas, um, School Las Americas is a school for newcomers. So um, sort of similar to Enlace, which I spoke about earlier, that uh, is kids, but for kids who've been here maybe a year or so. And they're doing really inspiring work around trauma therapy, recognizing, of course, that their kids are carrying a lot that goes unseen. Um, it could be carrying um, those scars as like... Um, unseen scars from things that happened back home. Um, maybe those are from events uh, in their, their journey here. Uh, maybe it's the, the, the loss of living with mom and dad who are back in home country um, or m missing grandma who's back in home country or 
they're now living with mom and dad, but they haven't for a long time because they came over to the country earlier. And now they're rebuilding a relationship. Those are like really hard things to grapple with. And so what this school has done is created um, some powerful trauma-sensitive approaches to thinking about how to support young people. One of them is this garden. Um, And it was sparked by a, a young boy who was so scared for his little brother who had been left with his grandparents back home because he was um, staying back in home country. And the little boy missed him so, so much and didn't want to come to school and didn't want to study and just wanted to be back home. And his teachers um, finally connected with him by asking him to be the classroom caterpillar uh, manager. And it was his responsibility to take care of the caterpillars each day. And slowly, slowly, over a couple days and over a couple weeks, uh, this little boy came in, stayed longer because of that responsibility of caring for caterpillars. And then as he stayed longer, he felt more comfortable and ready to study and to learn with his classmates. And from this, they sparked the idea of creating a whole garden And so they have this garden that's filled with plants from all across the world that are recognizable to students from all around the world. And this is a space where students and social workers in the school and other teachers go when they need a quiet moment or they're upset or they don't know how to express their uh, their feelings. And they go and they garden together. And through gardening and maybe replanting a bougainvillea plant, they talk about how hard it is to be uprooted. And maybe as they're trimming tomatoes or harvesting those tomatoes, they talk about how grandma used to plant similar uh, tomatoes in their garden back home. And it creates a a way to open up for discussions um, and for healing. It's a really beautiful, beautiful garden and approach um, to thinking about supporting kiddos. Are schools of education acknowledging this and and teaching this and 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 really going forward to the cutting edge of where teachers need to be in these situations i think absolutely they are working on it they're acknowledging it they're understanding the importance of thinking about uh immigrant students and uh how we support them um i I learned from amazing professors when i was in grad school um, for education, thinking about some of these topics. So absolutely. Um, and I still work with professors today who are um, trying to connect with schools, to run studies, to measure students' senses of belonging. Um, there are also powerful organizations. Um, there's a, a national organization, Reimagining Migration, that is working um, with some institutions right now to measure immigrant students' sense of belonging um, and thinking about how we better support teachers to be able to support students, um, better um, support students themselves, and how do we together reimagine education? So there is definitely exciting um, work being done and very much an acknowledgement um, of the need to be thinking about these questions and these ideas. What about the added resources that are needed in terms of money, in terms of outside professionals, etc.? Outside professionals and resources are, uh, money is great. Um, I think There's a lot here that can be worked with already. So I'll take your outside uh, professionals um, Mm -hmm. and think about the resources we already have in our community that we could tap. Um, So 
There are five schools in Colorado, in Aurora, Colorado, that have created a community school approach. So often traditionally schools close at three, four, um, and then the buildings sit empty for the rest of the evening. And these five schools in Aurora have created this community uh, model called the Action Zone, where the buildings are becoming these hubs for the community. And they're seeing that they have all of these resources that maybe they hadn't tapped before and are now tapping in terms of the local hospital and businesses and nonprofits and groups of parents who are working together to both advocate for the students and teach each other. Um, and I think what's exciting there and is a, a lesson and um, to be an inspiration is that there are really powerful resources that we have um, in our communities right now. I think about Lowell, which is so um, rich with resources and organizations and people who want to be involved, who want to be supporting our schools and our students. And I think it's more about thinking about how do we create our schools to be these community hubs um, that are fully able to take advantage and partner with the community, partner with families, um, and partner too with students and recognizing the strengths that students bring to be able to best support the whole school. Um, and do you have fears of any kind of pushback to any of this because of the larger political issues surrounding immigration today? I work with immigrants every day, um, as do my colleagues. And I think we all together are just inspired um, by them. Uh, they are truly amazing human beings. They bring so much joy and energy and determination to our classrooms, to our community. They enrich our schools and the country. And I think every person who is working in schools with immigrant students knows this. Um, working in communities that are vibrantly filled with uh, immigrant communities knows this. Um, and I, I think a, a reminder of just how many um, people in the United States um, come from elsewhere. I, I think often about, and I talk to my students about how um, their story is also my family's story. While I might have been born in the U.S., my great-grandfather wasn't, um, and he fled his home country to come here. And so those connection points, that empathy of this, uh, the story of immigrants today might be, I mean, maybe not, but it might be part of um, your family's story. But I mean, I'm just so inspired, as are my colleagues, both here in the city and across the country, who I got to meet was so inspired by our students and how much they bring to this country and how wonderful they are. But of course, as you point out in the book, it has been a historic struggle over many, many years. Yeah, absolutely. It really has. And it has required the courage of so many. Um, I mean, you think about um, the Mendez family in 1943 in Westminster, California, who, uh, when they tried to enroll their children in school, were told that, no, they couldn't go to the Westminster school. They had to go to the segregated Mexican school because at the time, California segregated white students from Mexican students. But they didn't back down, and so they organized, and they got other families together, and they found a civil rights lawyer and they sued the schools. And that um, case ultimately helped end school segregation in California 
and then was a stepping stone for Brown v. Board of Education a number of years later. Um, this work, the, the rich, um, vibrant schools that we're seeing today and um, that I saw uh, across the country would not be here without the courage and the persistence of so many who came before who fought for a more inclusive community and more inclusive schools. Jessica Lander, her book is Making Americans, Stories of Historic Struggles, New Ideas, and Inspiration in Immigrant Education. Jessica, I thank you so much for spending time with us. It was so wonderful to talk. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And thank you for listening and joining us. I hope you'll join us next week. I'm Jeff Sheckman. If you like this podcast, please feel free to share and help others find it by rating and reviewing it on iTunes and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.